you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Most of our sermon will be uh, from chapters 23, 24, 25 this morning. We will reference a few other passages, but that's the main points. Verse 6 is what I'd like for us to look at first. And ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All of these are the beginnings of sorrow. I don't know about you, but I've been asked many times over the course of time, but even more so recently, one of the questions is, is God using this pandemic to punish us? Is He trying to get people to change? Well, I can't answer that question because I'm not God. But I do know that on occasions in the past that He did use disasters and things of that nature to try to get people to change. We know that in the days of Noah, Noah had a, there was a flood and the people were destroyed. Why? Because they were evil. They were wicked. Every imagination of their thought of their heart was only evil continually. And so, yes, they were destroyed. And then we can see in Sodom and Gomorrah that people were wicked. And we see that God rained fire and brimstone down upon them. We can look at examples like that in the Old Testament. And we can see that, yes, God did use His wrath sometimes to try to get people to change. But I know that because He told me that in His Word. So today, when we look at something like this, a pandemic that's taking place, I cannot answer, is God doing that to get us to change? I can't say that. I can't say yes. I cannot say no. But it would be a good opportunity for us to wake up and to realize what we need to do in our lives to make ourselves right with God. There are many people in this world who have strayed from God, and our nation is no different. And we need to wake up and turn back to God. I listened to a celebrity the other day who was complaining about another celebrity who had said that she was going to do take all the precautions that she could take, but she was going to trust, trust God. And so she was going to pray. And she was ridiculed for that statement. And I, you know, it's one of those things that I wake, you know, I kind of take notice when I hear things like that. Because my thought is, you know, they'll say, God didn't have anything to do with this. He, he may have caused the pandemic, but He's not doing anything to help us. And I wonder, how do you know that? Why is it that the numbers are lower than they were estimated to be in numbers of deaths and even the numbers of people they thought would have it? Why is that? Did God have something to do with that? Well, I can't say yes and I can't say no. But I can say this, I have faith in prayer. And so is God sending this as a punishment? I don't know the answer to that question. But then I have other questions that people ask about, oh, look at all the things that are happening. I see pictures and uh, people have brought it to my attention of the locusts in East Africa that are destroying all the crops. And it's the worst that they've ever seen in their entire life. Is that, does that mean that this is what it's talking about? There's going to be famine and people are going to starve to death. And certainly we hear of wars and rumors of war, and I've heard of wars and rumors of wars all my life. And I'm sure that there's some that may be older that can even say that they've heard them all their life. And then we hear 
of the fires that took place in Australia and in our own country, and acres and acres and acres destroyed. Is that all part of the sign of the end of time? And they look at passages like we just read in Matthew as their evidence to show that this is what's going to take place. But I think that we need to look at those passages of Scripture and ask ourselves, is that what God or Jesus is talking about? Is He talking about, are those verses referencing the end of time when this world will be destroyed? You see, I believe that Jesus is trying to help us in our current day to realize the importance of being prepared. And it is encouraging or should be encouraging to us to know that He's told us that that day is going to come, that there is going to be a judgment, and we are going to give an account of our lives, and we should be encouraged to live a faithful life. That's why we should be out in the world telling others about the good news of the Gospel of Christ so that they can change their lives and make their relationship right with God. Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 11-14, through For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. As Christians, we look forward to that day that the Lord returns, or we should. If we're not looking forward to that day, then maybe we're not living our life in a way that we should. And maybe we don't have the proper relationship with God to know what is the most important things in this life, and that is to be ready for our Lord. And when He does appear, we're going to look at it as something that's glorious, and we're going to love His appearing. But in the meantime, He has brought or called us to be a peculiar people, different from the world, zealous of good works. But the emphasis of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew, and I believe in many places in the New Testament, is our concern for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these passages of the Scripture, we're going to notice a few things. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4-35, through 35, we find that there are some signs that are given. <clears throat> but what are those signs given for? Jesus has given us a sign of something. What is that something? Well, I think that we have to back up and we got to look at the questions that were asked. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be a be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat down at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so we see that there are two questions, maybe three if you want to take away that and there and make it a separate question in and of itself. But there are questions there that the disciples have. And they want to know when shall these things be? And if you back up into Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 34, you can see where Jesus is talking about the, or the, the, the relationship that the Jews at that time had with the prophets and, and people that God has sent and how they had killed them and destroyed them because they were just evil people. They didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. And then in verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them 
which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So what's he talking about here that their house is going to be desolate? That what is going to take place is going to be destruction. And if you back up a little further into that chapter, you can see some of the things that he says is going to happen. And when they come out of that place or out of that uh, discourse of Jesus, the disciples find him or get to him and talk to him privately, and they ask those questions: When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of the Lord's coming and the end of the world? What are you talking about? What can we look for? How can we look forward to seeing and knowing when this is going to take place? And so there's a lot of false teaching that is out there. There's a lot of false books that are out there that encourage people to look at these things and other passages of Scripture, which we don't have time to look at today, but other passages of Scripture that try to show that the Lord is going to return and this is a sign, but He's going to set up an earthly kingdom while He's here on this earth, and those things just are not true. And in fact, there are some that want to believe that this entire chapter deals with the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm going to show you why I do not believe that that is the case. That Jesus is answering all of these questions that the apostles or disciples are asking. So let's begin reading in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. And all these things are the beginnings of sorrow. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. <clears throat> and then shall, many, then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So here we find that Jesus is giving some signs. He talks about false Christ. He tells them not to be deceived by them. Don't follow them. He talks about disasters that are going to take place, <clears throat> persecution, false prophets, uh, decreasing love, a lack of love, people fading away, their love fading away uh, for one another and for the Lord Himself. And then there's also going to be the fact that the Gospel is preached. As it says there in verse uh, 14, "...and the Gospel of the Kingdom shall be preached in all the world." Well, we know in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 that the Apostle Paul said that the gospel had been declared to all the world. And so the gospel had been, and so this is a fulfillment of that prophecy there that it needed to be preached, and so it had been according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. But then in verse 15 he says, "...and then ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand." 
I want to stop right there for a moment because we realize that Daniel in in the Old Testament had prophesied about the uh, desolation that was going, the abomination of desolation that was going to take place. How far into the future was that? What were they going to look for? Well, if you flip over to Luke chapter 21, verse 20, it talks about when the armies have surrounded Jerusalem. When the armies are around Jerusalem, that's when that occasion was going to be. And so they needed to be ready for that. They need to be ready for that occasion. They can look for those signs. And so he goes on after those signs, or talks about that. And then in verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So we're going to stop right there for a moment because I want us to realize what they were to do when these signs appeared. When they saw these things, when they saw the army surround Jerusalem, when they saw the pestilence, when they saw these, these things that took place or were taking place, what were they to do? They were to flee to the mountains. They were to get out of the city. They were to go. And he warns them or tells them, you better hope that it's not in winter. You should hope that it's not when it's on the Sabbath. Because if the Sabbath, if it's a Sabbath, what they did on the Sabbath day was they locked the gates of the city. So people couldn't get out or come in. And so it would be a hindrance if they saw these things taking place and they needed to get out of town. And think about it, if this is referring to the end of time, would it matter if you ran to the mountains? When we hear that last trumpet and the Lord has returned, where are you going to go and hide? You're not going to hide anywhere. It's not going to matter if you had your went down and got your coat. It's not going to matter if you got into the mountains. It's not going to matter where you're at. You're going to be found. You're not going to be able to remove yourself from the final judgment. And so Jesus is warning them of that when you see these signs, get out of the city. Now some historians tell us, Josephus one of them, and I've read of others that have said that because people recognize these signs, Christians, Christians, I want to be specific, Christians recognize these signs of what Jesus had told them that not a single Christian died in the destruction of Jerusalem. Jews, other Jews did, those that were not Christians, because they didn't look for those signs. But the Christians that looked for those signs and recognized those signs got out of town and none died. Do I know if that's true? I don't know. I'm just reading what they've said. <clears throat> some were closer to that time frame than I, I am. So some would know. But when we talk about destruction, we realize that it's something that God has done in the past. Let's continue reading verse 23. <clears throat> then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, for they are believing not. 
For there shall arise false prophets and or false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in a secret chamber, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. I believe this last or that last verse has reference to the Roman armies that were surrounded Jerusalem, and when it talks about the carcasses, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon earlier, we were out in the in the back field behind some houses there with Isaac and Ethan, and as we were walking along, we looked up and there were some buzzards that were circling around, and I said they're looking for something dead, and Isaac said. Why are they wanting us to die? They're waiting for us to die. I said, well, I don't think they're waiting for that. I guess if that happened, they'd be happy, but they're looking for something dead. And so that's what happens. When there's a dead carcass, you usually see buzzards or birds flying around, and you know that that's there. And so what he's saying is, when you see that army, you know that there's going to be destruction. The things are going to happen that are not good. And so be prepared. And think about this also. False Christ. <clears throat> Don't follow those things. Well, for one, we know at the end of time that when the Lord returns, no one is going to miss it. Everyone is going to know when the Lord returns. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. The Bible tells us that all are going to come forth out of the graves. And so we know that those things, it's not something that <clears throat> we're going to be tricked into believing we're not believing. We know that it is true. But we also know that <clears throat> destruction came to other places. That the Lord talks about destruction coming. One of those examples are in Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 2. I guess I should get caught up here. Isaiah 19 and verse 1 and 2 says, And the burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at His presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. So Jesus tells us here about the destruction of Jerusalem. And some of these things that we see seem kind of hard for us to picture or imagine. But here we also need to realize that very figurative language is sometimes used when it's talking about Jesus coming into destruction or the Lord coming into destruction. There in Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, when he talks about the destruction of one specific group, one specific area, one specific nation. What does he say? The Lord rideth upon a swift cloud. Well, the destruction was going to come, and we can find things like that about Babylon and other places. And we see that, but did the Lord ride in on a cloud? No, that's just symbolic language talking about the Lord is going to bring His destruction, His judgment upon that particular area. 
And so His judgment is going to come upon Jerusalem just as has been prophesied and foretold. And this is what's going to happen. You be ready for it. As a Christian, be ready for it. It's already taken place for us today because this was in AD 70 that that took place. But I want us to look... Well, let's just continue reading. We'll get to verse 34. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together His elect from the four corners from one end even or end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When His branch is yet tender and put forth green leaves or put forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all of these things, know that it is near even at the door. <clears throat> well, what's near at the door? The destruction that He's talking about for Jerusalem. What's He telling them? Be prepared. When it talks about the stars and the moon and those things that are going to be darkened, that's those that are in power. Powerful people being removed. And we see that before. Uh, we've seen that uh, in, in people's dreams where they talked about uh, leaders and, and they're, they're kind of referred to as the sun, moon, stars. shows that they're there, that they're in position where they're seen. And we know that those things are going to happen. So there's a lot of things here that are, are tough to, to, for some to understand, but I think that it's kind of self-explanatory if you just read it in the context that Jesus is telling us that this is the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, look at the question. Go back to the question. When shall these things be? What things? Well, the things that He talked about prior to that, which was the temple was going to be destroyed and what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Basically, what was going to happen to the Jewish faith. <clears throat> that Jewish system, the law of Moses, all those things were done away with. And so, that is what's going to take place. But look at verse 34. Verily I say unto you, and here's one of the keys to this whole picture. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. What generation? The next generation? The past generation? No, this one. Which one is this one? The one that he's right there with. The one that he's talking about. Those at that particular time is that generation. So what's he say? This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. All of these things are going to take place. That generation was going to see it. They were going to experience it. Didn't mean everybody in that generation was going to live up to that point. Some would still die. <coughs> But the people of that time were going to see that happen. And then He's telling them, when all of this destruction takes place, I want you to realize what He says in verse 20, or 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. I want to make sure we understand what He's saying there. <clears throat> he's not saying that the world at that particular time was going away. But you think about it, if you had lived under the Jewish system 
And now all of a sudden it's destroyed and you see your temple that is so magnificent beforehand that they thought would never fall, it's destroyed and wiped out. What is that going to do to your outlook on life? I think that we see even with this pandemic, people's outlook on life for some is just plain old miserable. So I would imagine that the people at that time, when they seen this destruction, they thought that the world was coming to the end, to an end. And maybe their life, it was coming to an end. But Jesus is saying, all oh, that's going to be destroyed. But let me tell you something. My Word is going to last through all of that and all the way to the end of time. And when this earth is burned up and destroyed, guess what? My Word is going to continue on then. Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, verse 48, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. So His word is not going to be destroyed by something that took place in Jerusalem and it's not going to be destroyed when this world is destroyed. And so He's making that point. Now I believe the dividing line for those questions that are being asked is in verse 36. What does it say in verse 36? But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That day. I believe that He's talking about the end of time when this world is going to be destroyed. No one knows the day nor the hour. And then He goes on to give us some illustrations. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding in the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. We're going to stop right there for a moment. What's he saying? Of that day, you're not going to know when it is. We're not going to know when the end of time is. It's going to be exactly like it was in the days of Noah. Noah's building an ark. He's preaching to people, telling people what they need to do. No one wants to listen. They're going about their life like nothing's going to happen. And then one day Noah went into the ark. And then one day it started to rain. And the floods came and it lifted that ark up in, out of, out of, or into the water. Everyone else besides Noah and his family, everyone else drowned in that flood. <clears throat> Jesus is saying that day, that last day, is going to be just like that. People are not going to know. Now, if that day is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, why give all those signs? Why are all those signs of... And when you see this coming, you run. You get out of town. You get out of Dodge as quick as you can. You go. Don't get your coat. Don't get your any belongings. Just go. Get out of town. Go. If this is talking about that day, then why do that? Why is it like the days of Noah when destruction came for all of us, for everyone, except Noah and those that were saved? It's a warning to be on guard. Now, verse 40 and verse 41. 
Very tough for some to understand. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. That's not really that hard to understand. I believe that Jesus is saying, guess what? you got two people. They're working side by side. One's going to be prepared. The other one may not be. Two people may be sleeping together. One may be prepared and the other one may not be. And that is true for the day of judgment, the last day when the Lord returns. You may be working next, next to someone. You may be saved. They may be lost. Or you can look at it the other way. They may be saved and you may be lost. You may be sleeping with a, a spouse. And guess what? They may be lost and you may be saved. Be prepared. That's the point. That day, we don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Be ready for it. How many of us are prepared for that day? You see, the emphasis is on the fact that we need to be prepared because we don't know the hour that He's coming. We don't know the day that He's coming. We need to be prepared. <clears throat> and so in verse 37 and on, he gives warnings. He gives illustrations. Look at, the, look at the next illustration that He gives. We'll back up to verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not the hour, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known at what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour that ye think not the Son of Man cometh. So what's he saying? Thieves don't let you know when they're coming. You don't get a sign. You don't usually get a phone call. I don't know of any thief that said, hey, could you tell me when you're not going to be home? I want to come to your house on Thursday. And I want to break in at 10 o'clock so that I can get all your stuff. Well, if they did, <clears throat> what would you do? I know what I'd do. And I'm pretty sure I know what you would do. If you didn't have an army of police officers, you'd be taking matters into your own hands yourself because you're not going to give it up. A thief does not give us warnings, and that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not giving you warnings. Be prepared. And we are prepared, or we try to prepare ourselves. We put locks on our doors. Some people have big dogs. People have fence, have security systems, security alarms. <clears throat> Have police drive by, check on their house while they're on vacation? Why have a neighbor watch? Have neighborhood watches? They do all kinds of things to try to be prepared for the thief. Jesus is saying, be prepared for my return. And then He goes on, verse 45, Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom His Lord hath ruler, made ruler over His household to give them meat in due season? <clears throat> Blessed is that servant whom the Lord whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make his ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus is saying, while you're here on this earth, you have responsibilities as a Christian. Live up to those responsibilities. Do those things that God wants you to do because someday He's going to come and you're going to give an account of your life. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a parable of the ten virgins to try to emphasize his point of being prepared. Those ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. The The wise virgins had oil for their lamps, but they also had extra oil just in case the bridegroom delayed his coming. The foolish virgins had enough oil for the moment. And when the bridegroom tarried, guess what? They needed oil. And they wanted to borrow oil or get oil from the wise virgins. And they were told to go buy your own. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. Now, what's the point of that? Those that were foolish were unprepared for what the delay or ever how long the delay was. The wise ones were ready for the moment and ready for in the future if there was a delay in the bridegroom's coming. What was the point? Watch. For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Matthew chapter 25 in verse 13. And then we see another parable that he gives in Matthew chapter 14 through 30. The parable of the talents. We know the story. Each one was given a different amount of talent. The two that used their talents and gained more talents were rewarded. Though the one that took his one talent and hid it in the earth was cast into outer darkness. What was the point? The point was just what Jesus had said in chapter 24. Watch, be prepared. The other one was use what you have. Use it to glorify God. Be prepared. And then in the end of that chapter, we see the story of the judgment scene. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. The picture where those who did what they were supposed to do were rewarded with heaven. Those who did not do what they were supposed to do, their reward was cast into outer darkness. So all of these things are a picture. A picture of the fall of Jerusalem and a picture of the end of time. In both cases, the point was be ready. Be prepared. In the case of the fall of Jerusalem, get out of town. In the case of the end of the world, guess what? Be ready because you're not going to be able to escape it. In fact, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, or 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, 
But as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but all, that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want people to be lost. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want me to be lost. He doesn't want anyone out there in the world to be lost. And so He's long-suffering. He's patient. But there's going to be a day that that's going to end. And for many, it's going to be like a thief in the night. They're not expecting it. As a Christian, we look for it. We're supposed to be longing for it. But many in the world aren't looking for it. And so they go about their life just like they did in the days of Noah, like nothing's going to happen. But in verse 10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and works that are therein shall be burned up. This world that we have, that we exist on, is going to be destroyed. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be gone. But then Peter asks a very important question in verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of man, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What manner of person ought you to be? You know that this world is going to be gone. You know that you're going to die. You know that the Lord will return. You're not going to escape it. Those that aren't prepared are not going to get another opportunity because the Bible tells us that all that are in the graves are going to come forth. Those that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So we're all going to be there. question is, what manner of person are you? We know what we should be. We know what we're supposed to be. The question is, are we ready for eternity? Let the emphasis from those chapters in Matthew be placed where they should be for us on the second coming of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Chapter 24, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not that the Son of Man cometh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The question is, are you ready? If that day was right now, right this moment, are you ready? Where would you spend eternity if the Lord returned today? You need to respond to the invitation. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.